in Revelation 8. Uh, Revelation 8. And uh, I, I do want to try to do everything I can to make sure that you're staying with the class, not falling behind, you know, not getting confused and all of that. And so uh, I'm usually not much for retracing and retracing and retracing, but I feel like it's somewhat useful when we're going over this, especially because when it comes uh, to the book of Revelation, I feel like um, so many of us have uh, lots of puzzle pieces that don't belong in the box, and we've got to figure out which ones belong and which ones uh, do not belong. Uh, Revelation 8 has uh, these, these trumpets that have sounded. We, we looked at these, these uh, trumpets last time, uh, and we noted the massive repetition of thirds. And as you begin in like in verse 7 and carry that all the way down to verse 12, it's a third and a third and a third and a third. Uh, so we've talked about with these fractions that you have these uh, partial judgments that are, that are happening and there are pictures of all varieties of aspects of the earth that are, are being described. Um, we didn't have time to talk about it last time, but I'd like to bring it up for just a moment that um, you are in the section now where the typical uh, premillennial point of view is that these are all... Um, post-rapture tribulation events that are on the earth, that this is describing uh, when this event's going to happen, the Christians are all going to be taken off of the earth. Uh, that, that's why you saw in chapter 7 all the saints around the throne. Uh, and then in chapter 8, here are all these terrible things that are going to happen on the earth uh, before Christ and the Christians then all return to the earth. So, one of the things that I want to spend a minute talking about then is, so why should, when we read these terms from, and images really, from verse 7 through uh, verse 12 about all these things being struck and, and sea being struck and moon and stars and sun and the lights darkened and uh, we see a third of living creatures destroyed, a third of the earth is burned up. Why should we read those as symbols and not read them literally? Because that's really the point of the argument. The argument they will say is, we read the Bible literally. And you guys are a bunch of losers for not reading it literally. You all act like you read the Bible literally, but you're not reading it literally here. So you should. And that's... Kind of what it boils down to is, do you read it as actual one-thirds of the earth, as literal, that's all going to happen? Uh, or do we stay in, in symbolism and see it as simply uh, images of, of particular events that are going to happen, but not literally a third of the sun is destroyed and a third of the stars and things like that? Debbie? Yes, and I do think it's important to note that this is not the only time this language is used, and I'll show some of those again in just a minute. April, gentlemen. Okay. Yeah. So remember, the beginning of the book told us we're seeing visions, and that's important to not forget. You, we we get long into the book, 
and we kind of forget those first three verses that were really, really important that we spent an awful lot of time on. Uh, that you had, this is prophecy, this is a vision, these things were put into symbols as they are sent by an angel. We have to keep that in mind, that we are picturing and seeing symbols and imagery, not uh, reading this in, in those literal ways. Charlotte? Okay. Well, a couple of things we can often talk about is this shortly come back. Okay. But then in chapter 5, it talks about a lot of other things that yep. have to happen. Uh, okay. before the saints of the throne are right. satisfied. And so if you read it like that, then all of this would indicate what was going on. Okay, good. So number two, remember in those first three verses, you had the time is near, things that must shortly take place. Majority point of view is none of this has happened yet. That's a real problem because the book says must shortly take place. And I stood on my head and asked you, how, how long is it no longer short? <laughs> how long has to go by before the audience goes, okay, that's actually not near. And I mentioned, so thousands of years, hundreds of years are all problematic uh, to an interpretation of the book, Dennis. And aren't there enough other scriptures in the Bible that describes the second coming yeah. that would conflict, that this would conflict with? It does. And so when you do read things about the second coming, that does conflict with some of the things that are being depicted here. Eventually, I'll walk through Matthew 24 with you uh, to show that conflict. I, I don't think we're ready for that yet, but we'll do that. Um, and also, I think these passages, the exact same terminology is used to describe other nations and kings in past world history falling. Uh, and that's why I keep throwing that last point up there is I hope that read Isaiah 34, read Isaiah 13 and Isaiah 14, read, read uh, these different pictures that you find where it's not talking about a second coming end of the world, but talking about the fall of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian empire, where it's talking about the king of Edom and how Edom is going to fall, where it talks about different nations are going to be destroyed. Um, and you might remember I used Joel 2 with you. Peter quotes Joel 2, and he's clearly pointing to Jerusalem and telling them about the day of the awesome day of the Lord that that's coming. Luke 21, we spent quite a bit of time there last time where it talked about when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, and yet it's all the same terminology again. So before we, we keep going into the rest of chapter 8 and then also into chapter 9, I want to make sure you feel comfortable that when we start reading about Locusts that have women's hair and are wearing breastplates and sting like scorpions and do all this kind of stuff because that's where we're at. We're right there. But you're going to be okay with that <laughs> because that's the way it's going to read here in a minute. And if we start defaulting into, okay, well, I'm looking for something actual, literal like that, it's going to be, be troubling. Now, I think one of the things that's funny to me about this is this point of view that tries to take everything extremely exactly literally all bail out at various times because you have to. And chapter 9 is one of those bailout points. 
nobody reads that and goes, there's going to be scorpions that, or locusts that have scorpion tails that have women's hair and teeth like lions, and they're going to roam the earth and they're going to kill everybody. They all turn that into, well, that's going to be unclean spirits. Okay, well, that's great, except now you just broke your rule. <laughs> so so uh, don't be troubled about the idea that, yes, this is talking about actual things that are going to happen, but the symbol isn't literal. It, the symbol is referring to something that's going to happen. So this locust attack that we're going to read about isn't about locusts. It's about something that's going to happen, and it's represented by the symbol. The same thing here that we've talked about in these first four uh, trumpets is that you're seeing thirds and thirds and thirds, and all of these are pointing to judgments are happening with God's particular emphasis of trying to bring about a repentance. We haven't read that yet, but it's in chapter 9, uh, where these things were to cause the people to repent, and because they refuse to repent, then a judgment comes about. Okay, so setting that table, are, are we okay or not okay? No student left behind. I want you to be a part of this and not, we get, you know, neck deep into chapter nine and you're just eyes wide open and you're drowning in the sea of revelation. I want to make sure we're feeling good about this imagery that I, I do believe, and I, some of you have noted it to me after class, is that one of the biggest problems and the biggest reasons why this book gets confused is because we don't go back to the Old Testament passages and read what those sounded like there. And when you understand those images and what, how they were applied there, now your job's a lot easier. Now you just bring it forward. You know, you go, oh, okay, well, when they heard that, that's what they would have understood. Bring it forward and just keep bringing those ideas forward. Okay, Debbie? No, in my, in fact, in my mind, I think it's more just trying to show that you shouldn't put your finger on it as any particular thing. Uh, just like when we saw in chapter seven that the listing of the tribes of Israel are an unusual listing. I think the, these little curveballs are intended to make you go, oh wait. That doesn't work with anything. It doesn't make a whole lot of a lot of sense. Even this one has a curveball in it. Did you notice we have a third of everything except one thing? No? Did you catch it? Yeah. Verse 7. All the green grass is burned up. Nobody can figure that out. Why is a third of everything destroyed? Everything from verse 6 all the way to verse 12. It's a third of everything, but then, but all the green grass. And, and anybody who tries to make a literal reading of that, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? You know, what, why is it sitting that way? Uh, and my stance is you're going to get these curveballs to remind you don't read it that way. It, it it's becomes nonsensical reading it in a literal it's going to be only two-thirds of the sun still shining. It's a, it, there's only going to be two-thirds of the earth left for a while. Uh, there's only going to be two-thirds of the stars. There's only going to be two-thirds of the moon left. It's because it starts becoming nonsensical, and you're moving away from painting the picture. And that's what I want you to do, is I think the writer Revelation wants you to visualize these images and get a sense then with that image of what this is talking about. Okay, Mike? Uh, the significance of the 
13 and Yep. Just hold on. We're not to verse 13 yet. But yep. I'm only in the first half. <laughs> but yep, we'll be there. We'll talk about that. Julie? So, and I'm going to move forward, but in you know, chapter 9, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, I'm not there yet either. <laughs> see those pictures for sure. All right. We're all in the same boat together. Ready to go over the waterfall together. All right. <laughs> all right. Now, um, <clears throat> we did start into uh, verses uh, 12 to the end, but there, there's a couple of terms that I think we need to, need to bring in here. You'll notice that verse 11 has an interesting detail. In verse 10, you have a great star falling from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and on a third of the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made uh, made bitter. So Wormwood is interesting, and that leads to a lot of speculation. But But I want you to note that this also goes back to imagery that's used. Jeremiah uses this this term particularly, and so your cross-references kind of help you out with that. Um, When you're in Jeremiah, he is proclaiming judgment against Jerusalem, you might remember, and uh, all of their sins that that are being proclaimed. And so what Jeremiah states in both of those passages is, uh, because Jerusalem has has turned into Sodom and have acted in the same way as, as them, God is going to make them drink wormwood. They're, they're going to drink these bitter waters. Now, does bitter waters have any kind of Old Testament connection in your mind? Yeah, Right. Moses, right? That, that imagery here. So you have like a reversing of that, that... Uh, rather, God coming and making the waters good for his people. Now we're having a, a reversal of that. That uh, Now it's being made bitter against them because of the, the people's rebellion, because they're not uh, acting like the, the people of God. And so I don't think the symbol there is, is too hard to see is, is you're having this bitterness poisoning, polluting, uh, that is going on because of of their sins. He's, he's going to make their lives uh, harsh and difficult, which is what these judgments are describing. A third of everything is, is is ultimately being judged, and it's proclaiming upon them, because of your sinning, these things are happening to you uh, in an effort to try to get the people to repent. Right, is it the, the whole hanging anything on thirds falls apart, and he says many die. Yeah. So why are we now just being messy with that number? <laughs> that's a good point as well. Yeah, all of a sudden now we have many happening. I think that's a good good point as well. Uh, and then also just, you, <laughs> I didn't bring the book today, so I didn't have time to read it to you. But the, this this polluting and all of that, I'm, I'm not kidding you. Books will talk about, so, you know, the pollution that's going on in the world and the smog and all of that, this is all signs. Because you know the people in the first century would have thought that way when they heard these words that the first thing they would have thought is urban pollution that is coming off of factories and vehicles and things like that. 
Just never forget that this has to work to a first century audience. They have to understand what's being said. It's written to them. So we can't have answers that require modern technology as as the solution. We're not to the locus yet, but um, I think it was the late great planet Earth that chalked that one up to the helicopters and things like that that were going to happen because that's the picture. Got to keep it to the that first century context. Okay, so you have a question about wormwood. Just that we didn't get to talk about that symbol last time. It, it's carrying out the same idea, using that that picture of uh, making the lives of the people harsh and bitter uh, because of the of their sinning, and that's used by Jeremiah in the in the exact same way. You act like Sodom, you're going to be treated like Sodom. You reject God, then you're not going to have blessings. You're going to have curses. Dennis. Yeah. And- I was reading about wormwood. It says it is non-poisonous. Yeah. So the fact that if many people die, yeah. that's kind of a, a, a conflict. It is a conflict, right? Because it, it just it's, makes it disgusting. Is is the idea? And yet there's a judgment that's that's being tied to it again. So yeah, a a strong literal reading really does come into conflict. So as much as it sounds. Uh, pious and wonderful to say I interpret the book of Revelation literally you don't because you can't you, you, you just run into too many issues you have to at some point eject from that position and go well it doesn't work right here and it's referring to or symbolizing this well I'm just being consistent now I'm just telling you it's all symbols where you are picking and choosing when you want it to be literal and when you don't and we can't do that that's just not going to work it's, you can't just decide when you like it to be uh, actually locusts and when you like it actually to be helicopters. You don't get to make that choice for yourself. You've got to let the text work for you in that. Okay. Uh, so that's the, the picture of, of uh, wormwood uh, that, that's going on there. Verse 12, you have the fourth angel, the third of the sun, moon, and stars. I've emphasized to you sun, moon, and stars being judged as National judgment lights out for somebody's coming. They're they're losing losing the light is, is is the idea, and it is somewhat representative, like you saw with Egypt, that should conjure that kind of idea with these uh, plagues that that are that are being being depicted. Uh, but you will notice that uh, in verse thirteen, as this is where Mike wanted to get to, is in verse thirteen you have an eagle crying out with a loud voice as it flies overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. All right. So what's what's everybody learning now? Three woes. Okay, three woes. Yeah, it's not getting any better. If you thought the first four trumpet sounds were bad, you haven't seen anything yet. These things sound terrible. They're only thirds. And now an eagle flies around saying, guess what? The next three are going to be awful. And so you've had your partials, and now it's only going to get worse. Uh, eagles in, in Old Testament scripture are used as heralds of God's judgment, and we should read it that way here. I don't think it should tied to anything in particular you know sometimes be like well the romans and they used head standards and they had eagles on top and things like that i, I think it's a little much uh, I, I think it's just more the idea of this is god uses the, these images as heralds to proclaim uh his, his judgments and so here are some locations where uh you see an eagle uh doing that hosea 8 verse 1 uh jeremiah 48 
uh, and 80 and uh, 49, uh, 20. And I want you to notice this. You have Deuteronomy uh, 28, verse 49. The Lord will bring a nation against you from from far away, from the ends of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. So notice God uses that eagle language to speak of judgment. <laughs> the eagle flying is a proclamation of, you're in trouble. And so that's what you're seeing here in verse 18. You're in trouble. Well, and, and this is where our symbolism and this symbolism and their symbol all come in. Because we think of the eagle and we think of this majestic bird and the representation mm-hmm. of our country and right. freedom and all. They look up at an eagle and something's dead because that vulture is going to eat it. Do you hear what I'm saying? So that's where you can't take all this literally because then it all gets amok. It it does get amok. Yeah, and you can't take your present symbolism and backward apply it, which is also important. Which is what they try to do, like in that book you're reading. Yeah, that's always fun. You take, are you, oh, see, eagle, that's going to mean freedom, right? No, not then. <laughs> that's not how they read that. So this is a, a declaration of judgment. It's, it's a declaration of uh, doom. So you're see, seeing that picture here. So questions about that? Feeling all right about that? Kind of just a straightforward, yep, Valerie. So now I'm reading the King James Version, and it says, angel, not eagle. Yep. <laughs> yep, King James says that. I love that. <laughs> um, almost all translations read, read read angel on that. I think I'm not even sure if the new did the new King James flip it to uh, an eagle or did it stay with the angel? Sometimes it stays with the King James in in diehard fashion, and sometimes it's willing to update along. Anyway, all, almost all the translations go with 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 an eagle. Uh, Older, better manuscripts have have eagle, uh, and so that's why it'd be a side point. But we, if, if I could say this, the, the King James Version was put together in 1611. We have discovered a lot more manuscripts since 1611 and have a lot more information since 1611, and so that helps us in being able to uh, have readings that, that we have, Debbie. I did see a reference to Deuteronomy where God compares to a mother eagle spreading her wings to yep. protect. So perhaps this eagle is trying to protect the ones who are marked. Uh, maybe. It, it just proclaims woe, though. It just says everybody's, everybody's in, tr- in, in trouble here. Uh, it, you could understand why in a variant reading would read angel because everything up to this point has been angels making proclamations and blowing trumpets and making statements. Uh, but eagle seems to be the better reading there, and that's why uh, just about everybody but the King James goes with an eagle the there. King James still uses angels. Angel, yeah. Typically, they just took out the these and thous and stayed with them. That's usually how the how they how they run with that. But it's still it's the same like she just said. Yeah. It's an overlooker. It's somebody who just witnessing, overlooking. It is. It absolutely is. It always puts me in a hard spot because I'm not trying to cap on the King James Version, but I would like to observe that it's over 400 years old. Uh, so we've learned a lot since then. You know, the advent of the computer has helped a lot. There's a lot of things that we've been able to. We found many more manuscripts, and that helps us uh, in the process of understanding these things. So it's a, it's a great translation. It's just an old translation, and, and so there, there you go. Well, eagles were also used by Rome as a war. 
symbol of war, too. So I think in this century, they would have seen and heard an eagle and understood yeah. that's a bird of prey, that's a war bird, that yeah. means something bad is coming. Yeah. yeah, and the Old Testament used it that way. So that, that's what you have being set up. Is, 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 it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Um, so let me read the first um, 12 verses of chapter 9. And what I'd like to, for you to be able to do either through reading or just listening is just try to get a visual and try to get a feel of what your big takeaway would be. And then we will we'll break, down, we'll break down the images verse by verse. But just try to get the big picture. Revelation 9. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. And they were told, Not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle, On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and and stings like scorpions, but their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as a king over them... The angel of the bottomless pit, his name is Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it is called Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. All right. If you're just painting the picture and hearing that image, what, what is your kind of big takeaway as you would see that, that visual of what's, what's going on? What's that? Okay. Certainly sounds dark and satanic and evil. Okay. And the other takeaways of seeing that imagery, how you would sit there and listen to that and, and visualize that. Destruction. A lot of destruction's coming, right? All right. Any others? Does it kind of sound like an army? I mean, we've got noise and chariots and helmets and breastplates and <laughs> right you know and, and the, the power to come in but not to kill but they're tormenting as i'm reading it i'm thinking of joel 2 and when it talks okay. about that invading yeah. yeah locust is a common picture that, that's used in the, in the scriptures for judgment dathan yeah i kind of in the contrast i kind of saw piece of it as Okay, so yeah, I think one of the things you do is you just kind of you start getting a visual of wow, this really sounds like a, a ferocious army that's coming in. It's a it's a frightening army and it's a destructive army. It, uh, it doesn't sound like an army you want to go up against. The way those those pictures are given to us is the curve all in white five months. 
Okay, yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, cur- curious things that are that are go- going on with with that, uh, Julie. It's fascinating to read how people really argue over what in the world is going on. But, I mean, if you just try to visualize a locust wearing a crown, having long hair, uh, a human face, but teeth like a lion, and its wings sound like many chariots that are uh, rushing into battle. They're wearing... Uh, breastplates, but they have scorpion tails and are going around uh, stinging people. And again, I don't know anybody that goes, that's what we're going to look for, you know, during, nobody goes literal right there. You can't, right? You just can't. It's, it's too fantastic uh, for it to be a literal reading. It has to be symbolizing something that's going on. All right, let's we'll take it in order so that we can we can stay with it. Uh, you have in the first two verses uh, this this idea of a of a fallen star. Verse one: A star has fallen from heaven to earth, uh, and is given a key uh, to the shaft of the abyss or the bottomless pit. So, how are we doing with Old Testament pictures of fallen stars? When you read about fallen stars in scriptures, do you remember what that usually pictures? Okay, yeah, some ruler or king is losing power or authority. That's that's typically what it is. Uh, In fact, Isaiah 14 is probably one of the most notable misunderstandings of that imagery where it talks, I think it's the King James that reads Lucifer right there, but most translations read morning star has fallen. And they think, well, that's referring to Satan. But the first verse said it was the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon is pictured as a star that's falling. Well, what's the message? You're losing power. Your authority has gone. It, uh, often in scriptures that you have stars would represent a power or a nation or a king or some, some kind of authority. So you're seeing that here is some kind of uh, authority is, is, is being lost to, to some degree. Uh, I put on the screen there, you might re- have uh, remember two of them. We're, we're not to Revelation 12 yet, so hold on, Charlotte. Just wait till Revelation 12. You keep coming to this one, and I'm going hold to you, hold you back. But Revelation 12, you have a picture of Satan being cast to the earth. The dragon is cast to the earth on that image. So apply the same idea. There is a loss of power that is being proclaimed there. You might remember in Luke 10, and if you don't remember this, you can look at it real quick while we're talking about it. You have the disciples casting out demons, unclean spirits. And you remember the disciples all come back to Jesus and say, hey, we were able to cast out demons. And Jesus' answer is, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And you read that and you go, hmm. what does that have to do with what you just said? Well, this is what it has to do with. There's a loss of power. You are seizing Satan's power by being, being authorized to cast out demons. You are taking that power away. He's losing that. That's why he's using that image and saying, I saw him fall 
uh, like, like lightning. Again, not trying to talk about a literal movement from heaven to earth, but loss of power has, has taken place. Christ is, has come, and you're seeing that power being taken away as Christ and his kingdom are marching against that. So that's the kind of idea that's going on there. April? Well, and that's, he talks about scorpions Yeah, the scripture is scorpion is unusual, isn't it? <laughs> that is an unusual, an unusual one that, that you would expect. Uh, I want to observe right here, you're not told the identity yet. I, I think that's always interesting. Now, I, I've shown you this in our discussions about Revelation so far, that the book wants to reveal identity always at the end of the description. And the same thing is happening here in a little bit of a microcosm, that the first two verses don't say who this is. It starts describing everything he's doing and everything that's going on and all that. And then you get to the very end and it goes, oh, and, you know, his name is Apollyon and Abaddon. But just to catch this theme of how Revelation works is that the explanation of who we're talking about always falls at the end of the description. So we've talked about up to this point as we're moving through Revelation, we don't have a, a specific object of God's wrath clearly named yet. But you are getting hints along the way. And this is doing the same thing in, in that. Um, he has a key, so that means he has authority, right? What does he open up? This abyss, this bottomless pit. And you'll notice this imagery of just like smoke coming out of it. And this notice the smoke darkens the sun. All right. What have we said about darkening suns? Judgment's happening, right? So notice smoke is rising up. And in fact, God uses terms like that. Remember when Sodom and Gomorrah fall, you're told that you are seeing the smoke rise up like out of a furnace. Well, notice it's the same picture right here. It's the same idea that you have this smoke judgment going on. So you're, you're, you're getting a, just a simple picture that this is God now bringing a judgment here and it's only intensifying, just as the eagle said. Eagle said, we're going to intensify things. Things are only going to get worse. And, and so you're seeing that picture here is that this Abaddon, Apollyon figure has a key, lets out the smoke, It's covering the sun. Judgment language is being depicted, but God is clearly the the one behind this as this judgment's unfolding. Oh, of course, you can't hurt God, but when this happens, those who love God, those who are trying to, I mean, there's somebody going to get hurt. Yes, yeah, and there's all kinds of that, right? Verse 5 describes this torment that's going to happen. Uh, 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 upon the people. So uh, the language here now is that of, of locusts. And Abra brought up earlier, when you, when you read locusts, you probably think of a book like Joel, that locusts are frequently used by God as, as tools of judgment. Uh, even if you're not very familiar with the book of Joel, uh, one of the ten plagues, Locusts, right? So uh, God uses that as an image of, of, of judgment. But Joel 1 and, and Joel 2, I think, are, are very important to this. Um, go over to Joel chapter... Uh, I'll, I think I'll just do Joel 2 for the sake of time. 
Well, no, I should do Joel 1, too. I have to. If you notice in Joel 1, verse 4, notice locust, 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 right? Joel 1, 4, cutting with the cutting locust is left, the swarming locust is eaten, with the swarming locust is left, the hopping locust is eaten, with the hopping locust is left, the destroying locust is describing this locust judgment. Notice the explanation of what this sounds like in verse 6. For a nation has come against my people, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are, oh, that sounds familiar, lion's teeth. (laughs) This is not some strange image that God's never used before. He's used these kinds of pictures before in describing this judgment. So it has the fangs of a lion. Let's go over to chapter 2. Uh, and, and verse 1, you're still talking about this, this picture of judgment. Verse 2 of chapter 2, a day of darkness and gloom, clouds and thick darkness, like blackness are spread upon the mountains. A great and powerful people, their light that has never been before nor again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them. Look at verse 4. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses running like war, war horses as they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap upon the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a fire and flame devouring stubble like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Notice in Joel's prophecy, God uses the same kind of pictures. We've got horses. We've got lion's teeth. We've got running fast. We've got darkness. We've got judgment. It's the same idea as that God had actually in chapter 1 used locusts as a judgment against Judah and Jerusalem, but then turns around and says, but that's actually symbolic of when the Babylonian Empire comes, and they're going to come in just like they did, and they're not going to leave anything left, and they're ferocious, and they have their armies, and they're going to be like lion's teeth. So I want you to just get a sense that when we're here in, in Revelation Chapter nine, and you're reading that language of of the of the locust. Very strong image of this is a, an army. This is a, some kind of army is coming in and, and destroying and is tormenting and and bringing about God's judgment. I'd like to add to this as as well. Um, locusts were also described as a curse for Israel's disobedience. When you're in the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy chapter twenty eight. You're told to them that that would be what would happen to them if they disobeyed God, that you would have locusts against them, which explains why Joel has that very thing uh, taking place. You'll notice, though, in verse 4, something that's important. These have to be symbolic because the locusts don't damage the green things. Well, that's the only thing the (laughs) locusts do is they damage green things. So, again, you are getting a curveball flag saying, don't read this as actual locusts, because I would hope that the long hair and the lion's teeth would all indicate that already. But to put that on top of that, they're not harming green things. Who are they harming? The people who who don't have the seal that we read in chapter 7, right? So you're seeing a picture of judgment and torment being given upon those who are not faithful to God. There is... 
some kind of judgment happening against these who are not belonging as God's people who have not been marked. Now, the second thing Mike had, had brought up is, or was it uh, one of you? I can't remember which one. One of, one of you said something about five months, right? <laughs> no, Dennis said something about five months. Okay. Uh, interestingly, that's the, the typical lifespan of a locust, actually, is between three and six months. So, um, to me, the symbol is the locust is going to do its complete job. It's not going to last for five days or five minutes or one week. or It's going to last the whole time. It's going to carry out its, its mission. So, God is sending out <laughs> this judgment, and it's pictured like a terrifying army. That is going to come and harm those who do not have the seal of God upon them. But it's not going to kill them. But they're sure going to wish it happened. They're all in such torment that they're crying out because of the pain of their affliction that they have at that time. I'm sorry. I thought these people that were sealed were in heaven. Well, yeah. We've seen them up there, right? Well, then I'm totally... Okay, well, let's try to solve that. So what have we talked about with how we run our what run looking at our pictures and images? How should we deal with the fact that chapter 7, we had the people who were marked as the seal of God, they're pictured before the throne and washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and have come through the great tribulation. But now... It's not linear. <laughs> okay. Well, it's not linear. But we have to be careful that we, we have the tendency to want to just go, okay, well, and, and we're, we're backing up again and going, okay, so this judgment is on those who have harmed the people of God, who have harmed those who are, who are sealed. This is going to be judging, judging them. I mean, we know when, when the plagues in the Old Testament times that where the Israelites lived was kind of an anomaly and they didn't have all of those plagues when it was darkness, but it wasn't there. Right. The, what these people are going to go through, seal or no seal, you're suffering this whole world that they're in is suffering under this. So there's still immense suffering going on even if you're being told right now it's not for you, you're going to be saved from it. Right. Your physical body is still going through a whole lot of hell on earth during that time. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that that's where some of that picture has to come into. Right. Exactly. And, and think about it like, like this. God is sending judgments against the wicked. That doesn't mean these Christians haven't died for the cause of Christ. It doesn't mean that more are not going to die for the cause of Christ. God is obviously not the one killing his own people. He is bringing a torment and a judgment upon those who are against God and his people and is dealing with, with those particular groups. That would be how I would frame that. They're crying out for how long, right? And I, chapter 6 was kind of your overview of what 7 through 11 are going to talk about in detail because you have that sixth seal basically describing the end. Uh, so now we're backing up in sorts and kind of giving more of the details. Uh, so this is God's response. And like you said, that fifth seal is the saint saying, well, when are you going to do something? Well, notice God's doing something. He's tormenting those who don't have, have the seal on them. He is going to now bring judgment upon them. And this is Satan who has the authority for God to do this. Is that what you're going to say? Okay. If you do the star that fell from heaven and you equate that to what Jesus said, that he saw Satan fall from heaven. Okay. 
Um, and it says Abaddon and Apollon, which are, is an Apollon, a Greek word for Satan? Um, destroyer, and, just destruction and destroyer, what those words refer to. Let me get out there, uh, since I have one minute and like 15 seconds, right? Plenty of time for Abaddon and Apollyon. <laughs> go, yeah, go fast. Um, uh, what I already mentioned earlier, just this idea of, of description of locusts, powerful and frightened army. That should be our, our big takeaway of what this is talking about. The majority of this chapter, or the, this, this trumpet, is about the army. There is a powerful, destroying army that, that, that is coming. Who is the one who is unleashing? It is funny that it's not till verse 11 that you are, you are told this. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit or the angel of the abyss. His name is Abaddon and Apollyon. So there you go. There's a lot of argument about, excuse me, who, who this is. If this is talking about uh, Satan or if it's talking about uh, some angel. I will observe with you that. This, again, is not terminology foreign to the Old Testament. Well, you can read about Abaddon in places like Job 26 and Psalm 88 and Proverbs 15. Abaddon is pretty much typically linked to Sheol and pretty much refers to death. And so you're getting a picture of this is the one that has power over death. This is the one who's in charge of that. And so even using a phrase like, like this, Abaddon is not outside the framework of, of the Old Testament prophets. But I, I will we'll have to talk about this next week. I will put forward that it is talking about Satan, and I'm fine with that for two reasons. One, you do have in Hebrews 2 it telling us that until Christ subjugates Satan, he's the one that had power over death. Because now, through the crucifixion of Christ, we're no longer enslaved to fear of the one who had power over death. That, that was given to him. That's now been taken away. The big problem people have is, well, how can God be using Satan to accomplish his will? I hope you have a very fast answer to that. Uh, Judas, the cross, uh, <laughs> God uses that kind of stuff. All the time. I've made the point over and over again. If God doesn't use evil people to do his purposes, who's he's going to use? Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's nobody left. <laughs> That's it. So we should and we should be troubled by that. We should be amazed by that. I mean, that's what, what Revelation 12 is going to show. Here's the dragon trying to win against God and thinks it's going to be victorious by consuming the child. But God uses that to his own victory to cause problems to the dragon. That's exactly how it goes down. Satan thinks he's going to win through the cross. And it's through the cross that it's his own demise. Uh, this could be the same thing. Is that, yeah, sure, Satan is, is, is bringing this power about. But that doesn't put it outside of God's purposes and plan. He's given him the authority to run that way. Uh, and as April brought up, you see that in Job. Right? Here's Satan doing what he's going to do. But here's God saying, I'm only going to let you do so much. And that's it. All right. Long past time. Write down all your questions. Bring them back next week. We'll pick up on the screen. And uh, we'll keep talking about Revelation 9. 13-minute break. Reconvene at 1030. Thanks, everybody.